This is The Guardian. Just before we begin, this is a podcast series about stalking and some people might find parts of it difficult to listen to. In episode one, we were in Northwich, a small market town in the north of England, where a man called Matthew Hardy first began stalking women and girls from his local area. So work is pretty cool today. We're at an abandoned club in the middle of nowhere in Ibiza. This is the view right now. But now it's 2019, eight years since Matthew first started his campaign of terror. Nearly 15 years since Facebook landed on our shores. Things have changed. Hello guys, today I'm going to be doing the Baby Spice Takeover and today is a bit different. We actually don't have a show. We're in a different era, the era of selfies, ring lights and HD makeup. Because we're doing a photo shoot. An era when glamorous young women can become brands online. It's the age of the Instagram influencer. So, hey guys. I'm um, in London off to a very cool party with my friends for my birthday and I'm really excited. Her whole life, 22-year-old Abby Furness has wanted to be famous. She's a content creator, singer and performer from Brighton with 14,000 followers on Instagram. Abby's blonde and petite, she kind of looks like a pocket-sized version of the Hollywood actress Margot Robbie. She's confident and fun-loving, often posing in lingerie or swimwear for her online fans. As an influencer, her currency is likes and engagement, so every post is work. I do quite a lot of things at the moment, kind of all-round performing. Um, so I've been a Disney princess in the daytime and a fire breather at nighttime. So sort of an all-round performer at the moment. Abby often goes on work trips to places like Thailand and Ayanapa. But I want to take you with her on one particular trip to Ibiza in the summer of 2019. She's out there with her boyfriend. He was my first, like, true love and he was so cute. On this trip, Abby and her boyfriend are welcomed into an exclusive Ibethan scene. It's a world of secret VIP parties attended by the coolest, most in-the-know influencers. You get the whole venue to yourself. You can kind of like run around all the rooms and you get to go in the pool with this special group. Abby's pinching herself. These people are famous. They have thousands of followers. Truth be told, they're a little intimidating. So when a model called Zara invites her on a boat party, along with a carefully curated group, Abby's keen to impress. The right outfit is going to matter. I am this blonde beach girl who does fire breathing. They think I'm cool because I'm a fire breather. <laughs> so I picked this bikini that has flames on it. Hey! <laughs> it's one of those perfect days the sea is clear. They drink Prosecco and take it in turns to jump off the top deck of the boat. 
They drift from cove to cove. We were just having the best time. Abby's making friends with the other women on the boat and they're really nice. We were talking about things that I would only speak to to my really close friends. Like we were all really opening up to each other. And then an afternoon surprise. So, yeah, we've made it to this private beach, which is so lovely. We parked up the boat and we jumped off and we had this whole beach to ourselves. It was surrounded by caves and beautiful trees and nature and the sea was bright blue. It's time for this big, silly group photo. The boys line up at the back, the girls kneel at the front. Someone's brought some pineapples and they hold them aloft like trophies. Abby's in the front row, beaming. The day was insane. Like, I can't get over how happy I was that day. And I really, truly believed in that moment in time that I would be friends with these people. But after what happened, I don't think we'll ever see each other as a group again. Miles away, in a small town in the north of England, someone comes across that pineapple photo. I imagine him examining it, zooming in on Abby, studying her carefully. Because by 2019, Matthew Hardy's stalking has changed at the same pace as the internet. Anyone's now a potential victim. He's widened his compass beyond the women and girls of Northwich, his hometown. Abby is about to become part of a new phase in Matthew's stalking. From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kale, and you're listening to Can I Tell You a Secret? Episode 2, The Widening Circle. When Abby gets home to Brighton, she's still on a high. But then she gets a strange WhatsApp message from one of her new friends from the boat, Jodie. I loved your bikini, where's it from? And I'm like, oh, I told you, but it's from this place. And then another weird message. How long has you and your boyfriend been with each other? And I'm like, I told you this, but two years. And she's like, oh yeah, sorry, I just forgot. I was pretty drunk. Abby brushes it off, but then there's another message. She was like, I need to talk to you. So my heart is going really fast. She's like, I won't tell Zara, um, but I know that you got with her boyfriend. Abby has no idea what Jodie's talking about and she's freaking out. So she calls Zara straight away. And she was just like, oh my God, just chill. It's so fine. This happens to me a lot. Um, it's just people, they want to be like with us. They, they've obviously seen photos on Instagram, seen that you were with us and thought you were like an easy target. Just ignore it. Both Jodie and Zara are used to getting messages from fake profiles. They say it's part of the job of being an influencer. So... Abby follows Zara's advice to just ignore it. But then Abby's boyfriend starts receiving messages saying she's been cheating on him. Even though he knew that nothing happened, he got really distant with me. Yeah, he packed up his things and said he was moving out. 
and he broke up with me. Over the next two years, Matthew takes over Abby's life. He sets up fake accounts and sends hundreds of messages to her friends and family, fishing for information on her. And he also becomes Abby, a fake Abby. He learns to speak like her, her turns of phrase, and he gets in touch with people who know her. So many people were contacted. Old bosses, old friends, my friends now, my friends' parents. It just spread like a wildfire. In just a few weeks, Abby's lost the group of new friends. Sarah and Jodie weren't bothered by the messages, but Abby felt weird around Jodie, even though she knew it wasn't her. And Abby's also heartbroken, having split up with her boyfriend. Then one day, she gets a stomach-churning message from a guy called Lee, a photographer she recently worked with. So we're taking all these photos and we had a really good day. I left and the only contact I had of him was on my Instagram. So I said, oh, can you send me the photos on Instagram? He was like, yeah, that's so fine. A few days later, he sent me the link to a Google Doc with all the photos on, on Instagram. Some of these are lingerie photos, the sort of pictures that Abby shares on her Instagram. But there are also nude photos in there, pictures for her portfolio that she might send to specialist magazines. And those are different. They are intimate and they're not to be shared with people. Then Abby gets a message from Lee. He's been chatting to someone he thought was Abby on WhatsApp since the shoot, flirting, to be honest. But Abby never gave Lee her number. The fake Abby has asked Lee to send over the photos from the shoot, even the nude photos. And Lee only realised his mistake after he sent over the photos when fake Abby said something that didn't make any sense. So I know that Lee was really upset because he just kept apologising to me. Um, but bless, like, how, how could he have known? And the pictures? Well, they're out there. And fake Abby is going to use them. So he moves on to one of Abby's old bosses. I remember he messaged me on Facebook saying, oh, Abby, I think I've had some really weird messages from you and I don't think it's you anymore. Matthew's been sexting Abby's former boss. And then my boss asked for some photos and Abby, the fake Abby, sent all of the nude photos from the shoot with Lee. Nude photos to her boss. The humiliation is brutal. I would never flirt with my boss. And I wouldn't ever want him to flirt with me. So now it's happened. I just feel like we can't work together anymore because it's awkward. Because now he's seen me naked. And this is more than just humiliating for Abby. It feels like a violation. And she has no idea who is doing this to her. 
Abby might have thought that her friends and family would rally around and support her after something like this, but they blamed her. I think nearly every person that's been affected by him has said to me, you are just so much trauma. My auntie still to this day blames me for that. And she just says, it's your drama. You brought this into the family. Like, um, you didn't stop it when you had the chance to. To this day, in 2022, I still don't have my family on social media because they blocked me. I'm so angry. Some of Abby's family say she's brought this on herself by being so online. She's asking for it. If you wear a digital short skirt, expect to get unwanted interest. Everyone told me to get rid of your Instagram or go private, stop posting about things that you're doing, stop posting about your events, stop posting you in like bikinis and like skimpy outfits because it's going to attract things like this. Abby does like attention. She likes to be looked at. That's why she posts on Instagram. That's why she's a performer. But this, Abby never asked for this. Who would ask for this? Abby tries so hard to carry on as normal. But in the summer of 2020, everything comes to a head. It's the night before Abby is due to fly back out to Ibiza, her happy place. And I was with my best friend, Sophie. We were having a sleepover at my mum's house. Maybe, she hopes, she can leave the nightmare of the last year behind. So we were just up in my bed, like, talking about all the cool things we're going to do and looking at what restaurants we can go to and what experiences we can do. And when we were talking, my phone kept buzzing. Um, and the messages said that he was going to come and get me in Ibiza and that I couldn't go to Ibiza and that I wasn't allowed to go. And if I went, I had to beware. Beware? Like, is he outside? Like, what's going to happen? Is he going to stop me from going to Ibiza? Is he going to be at the airport? I was completely spiralling, freaking out at night. In all this time, Abby's never called the police about Matthew. She worried they'd just see her as a silly young woman. But this time is different. She calls 999. A few minutes later, a police officer calls back. And he said, Hiya, we're about half an hour away from your house, but do you really think we need to come? So I said, Yeah, I th- I, I'm scared. Like, I. I think I've, my stalker, I think he's outside. And the police said, okay, can you explain what's happened in this chat then? So I read them the chat and they were like, well, we think you're fine. So I felt really silly on the phone. Um, so I just said, okay, don't worry, then it's fine, don't come. I think I stayed awake all night, terrified that this guy was gonna come and get me. Abby was right. The police didn't seem to take it seriously. No one came to help her. I feel like I'm trapped in a box and no one can hear me. 
kind of like he's trapped me in a box and I'm like screaming for help. Like, this is not me. No one can hear me and everyone just sees this fake Abby. In the decades since Matthew first started stalking his former classmates, the way we live online has evolved. Social media has collapsed geographical boundaries. Our networks are sprawling and international. We follow people we don't know and they follow us back and we tell them about our lives, even though we've never met. And all of this sharing, well, it's a stalker's paradise. There's so much information out there for them to exploit. The data on our smartwatches, the routes on our runs, the geotags on our Instagram stories. Stalkers target victims through spyware, drones and even smart kettles. Calls from victims of cyberstalking like Abby to the National Stalking Helpline have increased 20% since the start of the pandemic. Our modern day digital lives are a cat's cradle of messy connections. And for these women, within that tangled yarn, lies Matthew. It's already here. Wow. If you're going on a holiday and you need a bikini, there's many to choose from. Leah Hamley is a 24-year-old boutique owner from Kent. Yeah. Show us your favourite bikini. Um, God, that's a hard one for me. <laughs> I like them all. Maybe the yellow. It's like a lemon one with blue, blue diamonds. I like to be a bit different. I don't like to walk in somewhere where everyone has something that everyone else has got on. Like Abby, Leah's an international party girl. She posts pictures of herself on her Instagram in Love Island-style outfits. She's tanned all year round with long, fluttery eyelashes. She's the girl at the airport checking in a massive suitcase for a week-long holiday. Well, I like to take a lot of stuff. Like, I went to Dubai for five days. I had 30 kilograms of luggage. 30 kilograms of luggage. And it still weighed 32. <laughs> Um, luckily, the man on the check-in desk let me get away with it, but, yeah, I like, to, I like to have different options. I know what you're thinking. Matthew's going to take over Leah's life, spread out like a blight, contaminating her family and friends, and he does. But what's different in Leah's story is how she responds to it. Uh, oh, do, you want, do you want to have a look? Oh, yeah, I've got, I've got to have a look. I feel like I haven't looked at my my little journal for a while. Your journal of God. I don't even know how to begin to describe this. It is a, wow, there's more. God, I thought that was all of it. Okay, so Leah is pulling out of a quite tattered yellow wallet. It is, I'd say probably, I mean, it's really hard to estimate how many pages that is, but like hundreds of pages of notes. Do you know, Leah, how many? No, I would say, over 500, easy. How long did this take you to put together? Hours, days. I just kept adding. And it's the sort of folder that's too heavy to hold with one hand, colour-coded with individual tabs. Your printing bill <laughs> must have been huge. I know, my poor dad, bless him, but needs must. It's a collection of everything Matthew ever did to her. Every message, every post, every call. Well almost everything. There's actually even more info she keeps on a hard drive that didn't fit into her folder. Plus, there's another stack of papers Leah also couldn't squeeze in. 
the reason Leah is so organised, because before she opened her boutique, she was a paralegal. I really liked my job. Like, I loved it. One of my main jobs was creating court bundles for, obviously, court cases. Being organised. Screenshot everything. So, obviously, on the left side, it says it's all the tab numbers. Obviously, the middle bit is what what you want to find. And, yeah, the end column's the page number. That's why I was thinking, if no-one can understand it, I'll make you understand it by going from start to finish. And I think... I know it sounds bad, but I just think no-one could actually be bothered to put the pieces together in the puzzle. It begins for Leah there, on page one of the dossier, in November 2019. The volume of messages is terrifying. Things like... Give you till six to answer, if not, we'll tell her. You think I'm jealous, you silly cow? Why won't you give me a chance? Why are you scared? want to help you. Matthew works on her tirelessly throughout the days and well into the nights. First thing in the morning, at seven in the morning, you've bombarded with loads and loads of messages, but then it'll go quiet for a bit, but then I think he's gone to sleep because he's been up since the early hours, sleeps, and then you're like, oh my God, he's back. Like, not again. There were days where Matthew would go easy on Leah, usually if she hadn't posted in a while. Some days when I stay quiet on it, he used to leave me alone and I used to think, oh, peace, peace and quiet, he's gone. But he always came back with a vengeance. It was like he's done his research for another three days and he's worse than ever. Matthew seemed to be getting kicks from Leo's distress. I did find when I highlighted it on my accounts it made him a lot worse i feel like he was just thriving for any attention he calls her family and friends hundreds of times he starts ringing my friends throughout the uh, middle of the night it's four in the morning like you're ringing them from an unknown caller and breathing down the phone to them like and he sends sexual messages to men pretending to be leah she finds his heart to talk about to be honest, it makes me feel embarrassed and it's sad because I, I, I shouldn't be embarrassed because I actually haven't done anything wrong in this situation. But obviously, it makes me... I'm still embarrassed about it to this day. I'm still embarrassed to see certain people. When she begs him to stop, Matthew taunts her. He knew because he actually said to me, good luck um, proving it's me and screenshotting it, this is to the police is pointless. So he knew it was pointless. He knew exactly what he was doing. Matthew seems to know everything about Leah's life. The research and everything else that he'd done, like, was absolutely mind-blowing. Like, to this was his full-time job. I used to imagine him in his room with a little mind board and my life there, if that makes sense, like who I was connected to. That's, that's how he always used to connect the dots. I remember a few nights sitting in the bath, having a little cry, thinking, is this ever gonna end? But something in Leah makes her refuse to back down. She keeps screenshotting every message Matthew sends and adding them to her folder. She contacts Kent Police, and it's a similar story. They don't seem to be able to help her. 
they wasn't quite understanding what I was saying. And I was like, well, it's just Instagram. Well, it's no, it's not just Instagram. Like, never asked, you know what, are you okay? Like, we're going to help you. We're going to look into this. In desperation, Leah eventually walks into the police station holding her enormous folder of evidence. I was actually in tears and said, please, can you help me? Everything's there. I just, someone just needs to look at it. And they told me to fill in another online crime report. Even though I'm in the police station with my mum, standing there crying with my yellow file of, of documents, it still wasn't good enough, really. We'll be back after this. Something I've always found weird about Matthew stalking is how little he seemed to care about being caught. Because for all of his subterfuge, Matthew made some strange decisions. Remember where we left Abby, the summer of 2020? Matthew just told her he's going to come for her if she goes to Ibiza. But Abby does go to Ibiza and she's adamant that he's not going to ruin her trip. So she tries to tune him out. I wasn't really on my phone much. So while I was out there, I did get lots of random messages on Instagram and WhatsApp. One evening, Abby does an Instagram live with a friend. Familiar faces pop up in the live chat. But there's one account that stands out. It's anonymous and it's sending messages about specific members of her family. When he was naming people, it suddenly clicked. Oh my God, it's him. Like, it was the speech pattern, the way he types, how long he takes to respond. Abby tries to act normal, but then this person writes in the chat. He just commented, Matthew Hardy. And I remember, like, tapping my friend's leg. Abby's never heard the name before. When the Instagram Live finishes, she rushes to check social media. And Matthew Hardy has messaged her from his personal account. The message says... I'm so sorry, all of it's me. It's all me. He altered himself. Why? Was it because she was ignoring him? Her attention was slipping away. Was it because she was happy? Or was he genuinely sorry? Whatever the reason, the messages don't stop. But finally, Abby knows who he is. And so now she, too, is determined that he won't slip through the net. I made a statement with Brighton Police. I'm a Pepsi Max guy, I, uh, I don't drink tea or coffee. Abby gives her statement to Sussex police and this time her case makes its way into the hands of one man in Cheshire. Well, so you've always got a Pepsi Max on the go in your car? Uh, not in the car, uh, back at the neck they'll be. A man who has Matthew Hardy firmly in his sights. I love the outdoors, I love just getting out, you know, a bit of walking, a bit of hiking, things like that. and. Uh, PC Kevin Anderson is a member of Cheshire Police's neighbourhood policing team. Me and my partner, we always try and do something different on days off, kayaking, 
you know, that type of thing. Yeah, paddleboarding, love it. If you met him in the pub, you'd peg Kevin for a peer teacher or maybe a stout leader. He's definitely not an officer on a power trip. Uh, what are the worst kind of people to arrest? Well, anybody. Uh, we, we don't want to arrest people. Really? You don't yeah. enjoy putting on the handcuffs? No, no I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't. If I can get away without taking someone to custody, and it's proportionate to do so, then I won't. I'll look at a diversion. In December 2019, the year before Abby's report to Sussex Police, and before Leah begins documenting the messages, a case involving Matthew Hardy is assigned to PC Tevin Anderson. Now, this isn't the sort of case Tevin would normally work on. He's a community police officer. Shoplifters and burglaries are more his thing, not cyberstalkers. But he picks it up and he starts digging around in the police databases and what he sees there, the number of reports about Matthew over 10 years, shocks him. So, he's been arrested 10 times. There's 63 victims, over 100 reports, although some of those might be duplicates. That's kind of mind-blowing to me. Was it mind-blowing to you as well to see that? Yeah, it was. It was. It, 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 it was difficult to read. It was difficult to see and it was difficult to read. For so long, the 63 people who had reported Matthew to Cheshire Police had been dismissed. Block him, police said. Delete your account. Go private. And as PC Kevin goes through the mounting evidence, he gets more and more uncomfortable. The messages were very psychological. And I'm, and I'm not a doctor. They were very psychological. There was even taunts on them. There, there was not... Like, stop it now or I'll go to the police. Go to the police, they don't do nothing. And he's right, isn't he? You, you, you've said it yourself. They don't do nothing. He's got that history. They don't do nothing. You know, there's no point going to them. They won't know who I am. There's stacks of evidence for Kevin to sift through. But one story stands out in particular. One of the victim's friends was getting married and Matthew had been texting the father and the boyfriend of the person who was getting married and trying to make out that the bride had been with the friend's father when it was totally untrue. And, you know, to think that, you, that somebody could do something so evil you know, to somebody, you know, before a wedding day. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's horrendous. Kevin was determined that this time, Cheshire Police would stop Matthew. The case took over his life. Uh, I'd, I'd never experienced a big case like that before. That, that type of... It's like a burden that's put on your shoulders to get things right. So Kevin starts to build his case... He looks at dozens of reports, which all seem similar. Similar enough that Kevin grew sure that one person was behind all of it. It wasn't just about collating testimony. Part of it was technical. So we can tell when a mobile phone, if it's on, is being used. Kevin pulled data from telephone masts. He checked so SIM cards and call records. Data that showed a certain SIM card that was used on a certain number of victims. 
data from the phones that Matthew had been using. So we managed to build up the evidence eventually so that there wasn't a lot of wiggle room for him. And then on more checking, it seemed to sort of snowball that there was a lot more. Because it is a bit like um, me being in the middle of a spider's web. To f start finding those little links, it's a bit like getting close to the end of a Rubik's Cube. You're always turning, you're always moving. What's surprising is that Kevin isn't a tech guy. I would say if you're looking at between analogue and digital, I'm analogue. You're analogue. I'm analogue. Really? But you're the, you're the cyber stalker guy. I know a bit about digital, but I'm, I'm, if you want anything analogue, I know what to do. When Kevin said this to me, I was stunned. I'd assumed a case like this would need a technical expert. Apparently not. Because, as it turned out, Matthew hadn't even tried to hide what he was doing. He used the same phone numbers and the same aliases. You could even look him up yourself. On one prank caller website, just one phone number registered to Matthew had been looked up 4,000 times by people in the UK, Ireland and even America. There were loads of people commenting on what he's done. Victims had even posted Matthew's home address online and people had gone around there enraged. So Kevin does not have to dig for long to figure out who's doing this. It all seemed to be there in plain sight. Only in 11 years, no one had ever connected the dots before PC Kevin Anderson. He wasn't good at covering his tracks. He, he, he tried, um, but no, he, 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 he wasn't. He, he pushed himself onto us. Kevin was looking at evidence given not just to Cheshire police, but also to police forces around the country, Wiltshire, Manchester, Sussex. And then in February 2020, something incredible turns up from Kent police. Leah's yellow folder. It's like a dream. It was like a dream. It, too, filled in lots of different blanks I had and pinpointed different phones and different accounts. And I knew from reading that, I can work with this. This, this, this is gold. This, this is really going to nail the sky. It's going to nail the sky. He immediately picks up the phone. Oh my God, it was like music to my ears. Like, I felt just that phone call, that one phone call, that's all I wanted. Like, and he, straight away, he was like, I'm here to help. I know it's gone on for years. I'm going to help you. And straight away, it was like, oh my God, someone's actually listening. Someone wants to do something about it. All in all, it takes PC Kevin Anderson just two months to close in on Matthew. He's been arrested 10 times before, so when police knock on Matthew's door, he seems to know why they're there. Like in August 2019, when he's arrested just before Kevin comes on the case. One of the officers noticed that in the bedroom, his window was open and it was a cold day and it was like, well, hold on a second, why? why is... so, 
as he looked out the window and looked down, he could see there was a mobile phone box in a bush a couple of floors down. So they sent an officer outside to go and get it. And what he'd done was obviously thrown the phone that's got the evidence on it out the window. So when PC Kevin knocks on the door, Matthew has good reason to believe that this time will be no different. And when you look at the statistics, this isn't an unreasonable expectation. Despite there being 1.5 million victims of stalking a year in England and Wales, just 0.1% of cases results in a conviction. Kevin knows that the odds are stacked against him. But on the 12th of February, 2020, he arrests Matthew once again. Did he seem surprised that he'd been arrested? No. No, not at all. How could you tell? Well, when you arrest someone and they say to you, I'm not the big stalker they make me out to be, then you've got an idea that they know why they've been arrested. He said that to you? Yeah. Wow. So, if Matthew's not this big stalker he's been made out to be, this evil puppet master, this tormentor in the shadows, who is he? In the next episode, we open the door on Matthew's past and speak to people who knew him. We contacted Kent Police about our reporting. The force told us that they take every reported incident of stalking seriously as part of its commitment to tackling violence against women and girls and remains focused on bringing offenders to justice. Kent Police says it's recognised nationally for the use of stalking protection orders, obtaining nearly 100 since they were introduced in January 2020. The force said Leah had been provided with an acceptable level of service, but the officers should have phoned to reassure her. Abby's 999 call was assessed at the time. She was given safety advice, but it was agreed that she was in no imminent danger. You've been listening to Can I Tell You a Secret? And episode three is ready to listen to now. If you need any support around stalking and harassment, you can get in touch with the Susie Lamplew Trust or call the National Stalking Helpline on 0808 802 0300. Further information can also be found on The Guardian's podcast page. This is a podcast series from The Guardian. It was made by me, Shirin Kale. The producer is Lucy Hoff. Original music and sound design is by Axel Kakutier. The executive producers are Charlotte Pritchard and India Rackerson. The commissioning editor is Nicole Jackson. If you're following the series, do subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks. This is The Guardian.